If you are interviewing or trying to get a you know, get a job in an organization as a marketer, you can't just show up and have a conversation. Like the key is show your market, you know, show that you know how to market, demonstrate um, your skill and your capability, make it impossible for someone not to see transparently the value and capabilities that you bring. All right. Hey there, fellow marketers. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by themarketinghelp.co. Now, another quick big thank you to our recent TMH community members that have joined and also our TMH Plus mentorship members that have signed up. And these are marketers that have taken a huge step in managing the marketing career this year. And you can join them too. See what they signed up for. See what the resources they have access to. Just head on over to themarketinghelp.co forward slash membership. All right. So that that opening clip you heard was from our episode guest, and that's Dave Fink, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Posty. That's P-O-S-T-I-E, and Posty is what I'll call a direct mail platform with digital capabilities, and we'll get more into that in the episode. But you know that clip you heard was was Dave, an excerpt from a story that Dave told about uh, an approach that a candidate took to land a job working for Posty. And when he tells this story, I'll, I'll say this: it is the greatest example of how marketers can get roles uh, at the companies that they want to work for. So you should be taking notes to when you hear the story that Dave tells. Uh, Dave also gives some great insights on developing a path in startups and in startup marketing roles. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Dave Fink from Posty. Uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so so in in a couple sentences, just help our audience understand what Posty is. We're going to go deeper into it in a little bit, but just give us a quick overview of what what Posty's doing. Sure, Posty is a, a technology platform that allows marketers to manage the direct mail channel with the same dynamicness and automation that they do their digital channels. So, um, for those who are used to programmatic tools or digital channels. Kind of the simplest way to think about Posty is, you know, we're we're generally the the trade desk of direct mail. Nice. Okay. So we're going to get spend more time again going back into into what Posty is doing for marketers or, or the value it's providing to marketers in the second half. But let's jump into as a career moments episode. Uh, we'd love to tap into the experience and wisdom of marketers through their journey. And in your case, you know, looking at your background, you know, take us all the way back to that, you know the 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 uh, degree in psychology, and was that any sort of influence to get you into market? Because we we talk to English majors, sociology majors, and sometimes that's an influence to get us thinking about you know what makes people tick. How about you? Was psychology any sort of influence to get into this path? Oh man, um, we're going super super deep. Uh, <laughs> I think probably indirectly. Um, and, and kudos to you for, for doing your research. I, I've um, done an, a number of, of these conversations and, and this is, you're the first person to get to go back and bring up um, my, my uh, you know, college focus. So uh, I, in college, I was pretty focused on, on being a, a, a therapist, quite, quite frankly. And so yeah. my, my focus on, on you know, studying psychology was, was preparing me to go to grad school and get a PhD and uh, I was pretty certain that was going to be my path and um, learned early on that I you know, didn't want to do another six years of academia. Um, <laughs> it just, it, it, I lost interest pretty fast. So I 
fell into you know a career in entrepreneurship, starting with a um, you know I think it was 1999 the internet was just kind of getting you know getting going and um, putting its engine on. I was living in Chicago and there was a uh, marketing technology company that was growing like a weed. I think they were hiring like a class of 20 new employees every Monday. It was crazy. Jeez. I had no applicable business skill set whatsoever. And a friend referred me to um, a very entry-level job and um, by some miracle got the job. Uh, and uh, and quite frankly, I learned in the first like three months that I was going to be fired if I didn't find a job within that company more suiting for me and ended up sliding into a sales role. And, and I think, you know, I hadn't thought about this in 20 years, but um, I think your point is really savvy in that what led me to sales was thinking about communication skills and people skills and just an interest in, um, you know, in, in conversation. And, and that just seemed like a natural fit for me. Um, you know, in, with regards to like psychology and marketing, I think, maybe just the, my natural interest in um in how the human mind works and um and how that applies both to sales and marketing probably did lead me there the 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 the, the real path was as a, a you know a sales person at a marketing technology company i sold into um, marketing teams that were kind of evolving you know with the internet and and many of my clients were fast growing startups and uh and and so you know for for me i think the the reason i excelled at sales wasn't because i was a classically trained or particularly talented talented salesperson i think it was that i was truly interested in learning what was going on and how these marketers were growing businesses so fast and and finding such success and um and 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 i think that certainly probably plays into my you know just natural interest in in psychology right now if you asked uh are are the put yeah the posty team um i think they would laugh because i do, i use a lot of um behavioral economics tactics and strategies and knowledge to to help kind of train us um and 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 think about how we can excel at our jobs and and engaging with our clientele and behavioral economics is is certainly you know an adjacency to psychology and it sounds like cuz because my next question when following your career path is you started in a sales role uh, led to a couple of sales roles, and then then you make this switch to uh, starting some businesses. And is it because you were being um, introduced and talking with and working with startups that said, "Hey, wait a minute, I can do this myself," or was there always a a DNA element that said, "Hey, I want to work for myself someday"? You know, as far back as college, because uh, it sounds like now that you're saying this, you know, maybe it was that experience working with startups that said, "Hey, wait, I can do this myself." What were, what are your thoughts there? No, that that's exactly right. It was okay. it was the former. Um, it was that I got exposed to this world of of you know creation and 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 startup dumb, um, and was like I just got bit by the bug, you know, really early on. I, I was not someone who I think he was innately industrious from an early age and, and just kind of came out of the womb as an entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I know lots of people that that nope, were nope. that, and I know people who built multi million dollar businesses as sixteen year olds, and I was right. I'm in awe of that, quite frankly. For me, um, in my sales career, uh, early on, I spent probably half my time selling into enterprise companies. And you would show up at these big, you know, these big enterprise, you know, organizations, and you'd walk into these fairly like stodgy, boring, you know, you know, whitewashed environments. And, you, you know, you'd be pitching people who 
you know, had had a very kind of narrow focus on, on kind of what their responsibility set was. And they were a cog in this, you know, 4,000 person machine. And I, you know, I'd come back like six months later, nothing would change. And I'd come back a year later, nothing would change. So at this exact same time period, I would show up at a startup and kind of walk in and 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 think like, gosh, these guys, these these people can't like buy anything from us. Like they don't have any money. This is like the most dumpy office. They're working off card tables, etc. And um, and they would buy something, and I'd get to know them. And and um, and six months later, I'd, I'd show up to their new office, which was like twice as nice, and there were three times as many people. And a year later, I'd show up, and there'd be like Ferraris in the parking lot, and like beautiful signage on the front of the building. I was just like, what in the world is going on here? Um, I mean, it was companies like like Netflix. Yeah. You know, we all know Netflix as as the you know dominant player in streaming right now. But but when I first started engaging with Netflix, I, I think there were like eighty people. They had wow. one warehouse, and it was all you know DVDs. And I remember watching like a human, you know, open up return packages of DVDs and and use a, like a, a wet nap to clean the backside of the DVD. I mean, it was like that. Like to me, that was like unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, that's certainly, it was not, I, like I was innately built to, to be involved in startups. It was, it was something that I got excited about early on and, and just had to be a part of, had to learn how to do. So the gears are moving in your head and you're saying, okay, where's my shot? Where's my opportunity? So what was that moment that got you to say, Hey, I'm going to go, I want to quit my job in sales. I'm going to go hundred percent into this company and, and talk about how you got into your first starting your first business? So I, you know, again, pretty early on in, in my experience at, um, in the sales world, just re- was motivated to, to, at some point, you know, be closer to the, the, the building side of, of a startup. And, and I don't even think in the beginning, it was like, I have to do my own start. It was just, I was like, I, I needed to be a part of building be part of, yeah. these startups. Yeah. And for many years, I had way more motivation than capability and knowledge. And like, I, I, you know, again, none of this stuff came super easy for me. I, I just was incredibly motivated. I, I believed that I'd figure it out at some point. Um, but my first entrepreneurial opportunity was um, going to work for uh, a CEO, a, 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 really a serial entrepreneur, another one of these, these kind of whiz kids who had built, you know, his first business when he was a teenager. Um, I think he was on his third or fourth business. And it was successful, and he was looking to start a another company, kind of um, you know under the umbrella of, of of his existing successful startup. And so that was an opportunity to come in as kind of the founder of this new um, you know business um, with built-in um, funding and and kind of some mentorship. And did that for a couple of years, and quite frankly. Um, I did not succeed at that. Um, I learned a ton. Right. Uh, yeah, we got up and running. I think we accomplished some things, but I mean, I I didn't know the first thing about you know building wireframes or user experience. I I didn't know a whole lot about marketing back then. I was coming fresh out of you know really a sales role um, over the past six seven years. I didn't know about hiring or building engineering teams or product teams, and so that was really a crash course for me. Um, but, but it was, it was a way to learn really quickly. I hope I added some value to that company along the way, but I certainly wouldn't call that a tremendous success. And, and, and that happens, you know, it, you know, serially for like the next 
six, seven years where I, I started starting some of my own companies. Um, none of them were particularly successful, but they were opportunities to learn more about what it took to build, launch, run a successful business. And it was kind of, for me, it was kind of like a decade long grad school of right. like making some money, burning that money, making a little bit more money, go to work for somebody in some entrepreneurial role, trying something new. Um, and kind of rinse and repeat uh, until finally things started clicking. And and, it, and definitely, I love how you, you phrase that as the, the, the 10 year kind of in the role, in the experience, MBA sort of learning. And a lot of your learning was by doing. Now, whether, you know, go a level or two deeper when it comes to the model or method you use to uh, pull out those necessary learnings when when doing. Is there anything you could share with our audience? Because I know there's a ton of, you know, entrepreneurs, uh, marketers that work at startups, you know, those that are thinking about maybe quitting their job because now's the time and maybe want to get get going by doing their own path. Is there a model you followed that, that allowed you to be successful and maybe not quickly, but effectively learning by doing? How many hours do we have? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh I mean, look, I love this topic. I think a lot about it and it's hard to summarize sure. uh, 22, 25 years worth of experience in in kind of a few short sentences. Um, I, I would say there are a few different, um, I think, kind of core and key learnings that, that I think are good to have perspective on. So one is there are very few startups that are just created because one person, you know, knew how to do everything, you know, came up with the idea, created the business model, generated all the revenue, built the platform. Um, you know, we all hear the, the, you know, the, the stories of Google and the stories of Facebook and whatnot and building things in dorm rooms and garages. And, and that does happen from time to time. But you know, when you look at most successful companies, they were either, you know, founded by an, a few individuals or a team of people that, that each brought complementary skill sets, or founded by an entrepreneur who had, you know, some, you know, key areas of, of expertise, enough general knowledge, and then very quickly was able to hire at, at a senior level um, smart people around them. So, so one learning for sure um, is you know you can't do everything. And, and even if you were pretty good at doing everything, there's not time in the day to do everything. And so, you know, you need a cast of, of characters and you're building a company at the end of the day. And, and so I think that's, that's a really important, um, I think, lesson, which is, you know, A, you can start thinking about um, assembling your team first and foremost um, and think about those those role players you need in order to to, to successfully kind of build um, all, all aspects of, of, you know, of the foundation of the business. That's one piece. Another piece is, uh, I think for someone like me who more than, you know, I, I think my entrepreneurial, um, motivation started, I, I just wanted to be a part of it. There were times in my, my career where it's just like, I didn't even care what the business was. I just want to be building something. And, and I think that's fine, but but I do believe that there are kind of two types of businesses that get created and and uh, and and they kind of fall into the camps of either opportunistic um, businesses, which are businesses that, you know, there's money to be made, 
there's a business model, there's a revenue model, um, you know, you figured out some kind of hook or niche, um, you're probably bringing some, you know, some previous you know, historical expertise to the table that gives you an opportunity to, to run that business. You know, and there are lots of businesses that generate lots of, of money that way or lots of revenue and can be profitable, even pretty scalable. They tend not to be transformative and they don't necessarily build a ton of um, enterprise value. Because on the other end of the spectrum, there are businesses that were created more organically or authentically. They, they, you know, their their founders or teams that recognized there was a, a problem that they faced or someone they knew faced, and they had, uh, you know, they just were mission driven to figure out how to build a solution that solved that problem. And I think more of those businesses tend to 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 uh, when they succeed, build true value um, because they're solving a problem, and so. You know, an extrapolation from that is is really the reality of a startup. Um, again, we all hear about um, you know the winners, right? The Ed Spiegel at, at Snap, right? The the Zuck, right? Um, at, at Facebook, um, but most businesses don't have this like linear path to stardom. They they have all sorts of challenges along the way, and there are some really you know, um, dark times and there are some moments of, of, you know, jubilation as well. Uh, and, and even though some of those, those moments like cycle through a day or a week or a month or a quarter, they, they feel really present and, and they feel much, uh, bigger than maybe they even are. And if you, as an entrepreneur are working on a business, that's really trying to solve a problem that, that you, you believe is, is valuable to solve, then it's much easier to kind of trudge through those dark days and get to the happier days. Um, I, I just think that, like, I think that's 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 really important. Yeah. So you know, those are pretty high level concepts, but I think a decent framework when when maybe some of your listeners are thinking about, I want to start a company. You know, that's amazing, but the you know the specific company you start matters too, and if you can get that right from the start even much greater chance at enjoying the ride and being successful. Exactly. I love that. I love that advice on, um, or the, the observation on the two types of startups that exist opportunistic, uh, or the ones that are solving problems slash mission driven. It's funny. Cause you've probably seen this too in, in mentoring students. Um, I remember talking to several students where they were, were going this path and they would talk about their, their company that they're building and would just ask a couple of questions and say, you know, what problem are you solving? Had a hard time answering that question. Then I'd say, well, why did you create this business? And it was at more of an app build. And it was, it was what they thought, um, not that it was wrong, but it was what they thought needed to exist. And then they had struggles trying to find a market. So there's a lot of things that were great to watch this, this person have this passion, this drive and motivation. But there's a lot of the, the blind spots that were just uh, not being recognized. Now, they eventually got help and, and, and you know, figure out ways to, to, to make it a little bit more relevant. But um, Anybody having that chance to start now, great advice on, on identifying those two types of companies. Um, so when you think about everywhere you've been, and if you had to go back and give yourself some super honest advice, go back, talk to yourself 25 years ago, what advice would you give to yourself? Knowing, again, what you've been through to get to today. That, that man, that's a tough question. Uh so super early in my career, I think I probably would have pushed myself to 
move outside of the sales world faster. Yeah. And um, because, you know, what, what it, I think what happened for me is, is I, I, I did quite well in sales and um, I think it was a valuable asset to, to the company I worked for. Um, I think it was about six or seven years, generated a ton of revenue uh, and kind of got caught in this, this world. And one of the things about sales is you can make a nice living um, based on how kind of variable comp works if you're successful and it's hard to to kind of carry that 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 earning potential over into other roles like like product or um yeah you know, I mean product's kind of the, the the big natural extension. But because of it, I think it in many ways, knowing that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, it set my my ability to be successful as an entrepreneur back quite a bit because I didn't learn a ton of skills outside of just pure sales. Um if I had been in some of those whiteboard rooms and learned how to do wireframes and how to engage and motivate designers and product folks and um, speak, you know, even though I'm, I'm not a, a coder, you know, if I, if I had learned um, and had more empathy um, for how, you know, product is built earlier on, I, I do think that that, that would have demystified things that, that need be, um, you know, we're in a time now, it's so different. I mean, I watch, I've a, a seven-year-old daughter, nine-year-old son, not my nine-year-old son in particular is like teaching himself how to code on YouTube. I mean, it's crazy. Yep. The, the access to information and, and, and the knowledge that he's going to have by the time he hits like freshman year of high school is, I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. Um, I mean, we're going to see like humans walk around like heads three times the size <laughs> of, of ours because like, there's just gonna be so much information in there by the time, um, you know, they, they get, you know, into the real world. Um, so I think that, that the, the natural path that entrepreneurs or, or, you know, people that want to be entrepreneurs can take today is, is very different than it was, you know, when I was in college, you know, barely had dial up internet. Um, but th- I think that would be the big piece of advice, which is, you know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to have exposure to a lot of different, um, uh, you know, skill sets and, and experiences within a business. So don't get pigeonholed in for too long. Nice. Got it. Um, so when you think back, you know, again, if you, when you think back to all the different stops and starts that you've had, successes, failures, like you're saying, uh, and we love talking to marketers about identifying that, that, that biggest career moment. Now, the truth is marketers, you know, have career moments, you know, weekly, monthly, yearly. But for you, the one that stands out the most in career moment, as we define as, is really that catalyst opportunity, the thing that helped to either advance your potential you know, exponentially, um, or it could be a career moment that, you know, set you on a, a path that you took you some time to recover from what comes to mind as your most impactful career moment so far. I think there are two. Uh, so before starting Posty, I was a, a partner at a tech studio and incubator, uh, in, in Santa Monica. And the nature of that that platform is that we provided capital, but also infrastructure for um, you know idea stage entrepreneurs to you know rapidly launch and de-risk the launch of, of businesses. And and so I did that for about six years. And and for six years I lived in kind of year one of startup land, um, and probably touched close to 70, 75 different ideas, businesses, et cetera. Lots of them, you know, never. Um, you know, di- didn't end up being lasting companies. Some of them became transformative, billion-dollar um, assets, and then a lot in between. 
And, and that was a defining moment for a couple of reasons. You know, one, I, I actually, I, I look back at that kind of six year stretch of my career as kind of the first time I, I felt I was equipped to actually do the job that I was in. I, I always had like, again, that, that back to that, like more motivation than capability. I was always like trying to punch above my weight class, always stressed, always anxious, never feeling comfortable or, or qualified to be doing what, what, you know, what I was doing at that time. But um, at, at science, I, I felt like um, I was doing exactly what I had spent the past 15 years building and developing the skill sets for and um, uniquely qualified to help early stage entrepreneurs um, find product market fit and get products into the, the world and start scaling. So that, that was transformative for me because it was that aha moment of, you know, like I'm doing what I've always wanted to do yeah. and adding a bunch of value. And that was, that felt great to get up and, and going to work every day. The, the second was it, during that stretch, I had gone through um, so many, uh, you know, the building of so many direct to consumer brands, two set of marketplaces, marketing technology platforms, um, you know, so many seed rounds of capital, so many series A, series B, um, five uh, liquidity events. We had bought and sold companies. Like it, it was, it was incredible. So that when it was time to launch Posty, there was just no question. Like, like, like we had been, it's like being in the on deck circle at a baseball yeah. game and swinging with like three bats or weights on your bat donuts or whatever they're called. Um, and now it's like, Oh, I just got to build one company. This yeah. is easy. Like, yeah. like, like and, and I don't, I'm saying that kind of jokingly, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but the pattern recognition is there. Like we, we could see, you know, my Jonathan, my, my co-founder, like we could see 10 years down the road before, you know, at the time we were putting together the framework for our vision, um, we just knew what needed to be done because we've lived through it so many times over the last you know, six years. And, and so those two moments that, that first time being in a place where I truly felt qualified to be building and launching and helping people build and launch startups um, and just doing what I always kind of envisioned myself doing, but doing it from a place of like, like confidence and then, and then, and then starting the next singularly focused business outside of this incubator, um, and being so prepared for many, the many challenges that we knew we were going to face along the way. Th- those were were two, I think, defining um, stages in my career. Love it, and and, I, and I'm sure audiences is uh, in their own respective experiences identifying some of those other uh, tenures or moments that confidence is the word that comes to mind listening to your story there because uh, it's the confidence that allowed you to find the clarity that led you to start posty because you may not realize it in the muck like in those six years but there's that moment that just says like you said the aha moment that says that wait a minute i feel comfortable here where my balance isn't so much that it's the motivation that's winning it's a little bit of both here now that i have the capability uh so good stuff so we're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to spend some time you know, unpacking more about Posty, uh, but more importantly, uh, the the career ties to uh, what Posty can do for marketers. Uh, and love to get your insights on some of your experiences uh, engaging with marketers over the course of your career. So great stuff on the career path. We'll take a quick quick break and we'll be right back. Hey there, I want to let you know about a new page we launched on the marketinghelp.co and we built it to address one of the most common questions we get from our members. And that's around finding your next marketing job. 
because the worst place to start your job search is with a job search. And that's the biggest flaw of most marketers today. So we create a hub just focused on helping marketers successfully complete every stage of the marketing job search uh, through courses. Now, go to the marketinghelp.co forward slash courses, and you'll see there's a selection of courses, workshops, and boot camps, uh, all the way from creating the job search strategy, which is very important, uh, to acing your interviews. Uh, We have a nice resource, uh, the Complete Marketing Interview Questions Guide, which a lot of our members are raving about. So you definitely want to check that course out. Now, the best part is we created learning environments that we know are going to meet the needs of your schedule, but also your budget. So we've got self-guided courses. We've got on-demand courses. And we've even got small cohort expert-led workshops and boot camps. So stop getting frustrated when you're not getting any responses. Start being successful in your marketing job search. Get some control. Go to the marketinghelp.co forward slash courses. Check it out. Now let's get back to the episode. So, so Dave, let's go a little bit deeper here with Posty. I know we talked earlier before this this episode, and it sounds like you, you really did nail the vision in terms of what you're solving. Tell us more about what Posty is doing and who you're doing it for. Sure. And and I think you're absolutely right. This is definitely one of those rare, I think, entrepreneurial moments where um, you yeah, six years in, you know, what we focus on day in, day out is 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 no different than that first like eight-page PowerPoint. Deck that we yeah built uh, before we had written a single line of code, or even yeah mapped out the business model. So you know, we, we talked a bunch about um, what I was doing before before Posty and, and Jonathan, my co-founder, um, uh, worked with me at uh, at Sides the incubator as well. And if you kind of step into like this this vision of you know, I was the marketing partner at this company, at this this incubator, and so all of the founders, all of the CMOs of these these startups, you know, um, you know, I had the opportunity to engage with and and help them on their journey, and and we kind of all grew up during the age of social media and video, you know, content marketing. You know, think about you know, literally the the emergence of of YouTube and the emergence emergence of you know of you know Facebook. Um, you know, Google had already been kind of on the, you know, I, you know, on the landscape for a while, but, but those were kind of the three, you know, kind of behemoths that were, that were, you know, uh, taking over the, the, the media world, but also providing a lot of advantage to how you launch companies. And so like most businesses that came out of, you know, the, the mid two thousands, um, there was a time where while we had you know taken veg and ridden the coattails of of the rise of, of YouTube and Facebook um, and got a lot of value out of it, there was a time where where we started real you know seeing the 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 double edged sword and um, and so you know there I had kind of hosted office hours and, and it would be the same freaked out look in these marketers' eyes where it was like I'm waking up every day. And and I have way too many eggs in the Facebook basket. And if Facebook behaves and decides not to change their algorithm today, um, not to do something to you know that that causes me a ton of heartburn, like I have a great day and I hit my numbers. And and tomorrow, if they change their algorithm or decide that after I spent two million dollars building you know likes in my fan page, they're going to now like suppress you know distribution of my content, and I got to pay to boost that content to the audience that I already paid to build, like. Like those moments were really hard and scary, and most of these businesses were venture backed and and had like a, like th- there was no option. They had to hit certain growth goals before they ran out of capital to get to the next round of funding. It was just constant anxiety, and so 
we started kind of looking at at that you know at at, at the good of of those programmatic platforms and how you could leverage data and measurement and testing optimization and put really big budgets with you know small headcounts and all those 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 things that that these technology um, driven you know marketing channels provide. But then we also looked and said like okay, but these are walled gardens and they have complete control over our destiny. So how do we like take the good of the technology capabilities and data capabilities? You know, and get rid of the walled garden. Um, you know that that creates you know this lack of of control on on you know for the brand or for the marketer. And so we looked at other channels that could be run programmatically, but that nobody owned the, the user. And and direct mail, you know, physical mail, the mailbox was 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 one of those channels that that got intriguing to us. It's, it's massive, right? Anybody with a physical address is reachable. There's tremendous amounts of quality third-party data that can be used in very similar ways to building lookalikes and CRM segmentation, optimization, and predictive modeling. And and because most brands have built some direct relationship with consumers and have kind of their their consumer identity, you know, um, you know, maps in in order. Um, we we knew that there were a lot of options for direct measurement. And so when you have like direct measurement, big scale, lots of data and optimization capabilities, like that became really intriguing to us. Um, and so we set out as, you know, as, as people involved in brands to try and figure out how to execute campaigns in direct mail and, and got really dis- disillusioned, right? The, the vendor set, um, you know, do some things really well, but, you know, they were built 50 years ago or a hundred years ago and still operate no differently than they did 20, 30, 40 years ago. Every, everything's super slow moving. There's no technology to help you organize, execute, optimize, gain insights. Like all these things that we expect from our, our, our digital channels, like we're, we're void in the direct mail space. And so that, that was kind of this moment of, well, wait a second, you know, the direct mail channel, like right now, the fragmentation of it, the lack of, um, of sophistication in technology doesn't look that different to what like display advertising looked in the early 2000s before there was certainly trade desk, but even like before there was you know, Google display network or before there was double click. And so the idea was like, huh, I wonder if it's possible to build, kind of rebuild the pipes and the framework in a technology package that uh, that kind of gets the direct mail channel to, you know, behave the way that um, that feels much more comfortable to the digital marketer. So, so that that was our, our mission. It was it was yeah, you know, let's build technology to make direct mail um, to capture all the power and value of the channel and scale the, the channel, but with the capabilities and dynamicness of digital channels. And, uh, and that's what we're doing today. It's no different than, than that initial vision. And I would imagine as you're going through your sales process and, and, you know, selling into direct marketing teams, agencies, you know, all the above, when you give a demo to a marketer, what, what, is there one thing in that demo that gets someone to say, wait a minute, okay, this is a game changer. I'm in. Uh, Cause I would imagine you get a little bit of resistance uh, initially, like any sales cycle, but is there what's the one thing in the demo that gets someone to really understand the power of Posty? I love that question. So the demo in general is, is a is a bit of a mic drop moment for yeah. for our sales yeah. team, and, and yeah, you know, I, I listen to many of the the sales recordings and 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 the 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 comments and responses that we get from the broadest set of really savvy marketers, like um it's an it, it's enough to make you blush um and 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 it actually feels really good it doesn't mean like everyone we pitch 
you know, commits budget, engages with us, but they they all seem to recognize the value um, and kind of authenticness of what we're building. There are, um, I think, a few areas that that we tend to focus on, um, and it, and really the things that that align with solving pain points that marketers have, and marketers have in this channel in particular. So one is just audience creation. So um, when marketers can um, see that they can integrate um, all their first party data directly into their Posty account, they can tap into the you know the industry's um, you know most credible third party data sets right there in a matter of seconds and start gaining insights into what their CRM and their customer segments look like, um, really kind of understand at a deep level, deeper than any really digital ad platform even provides. Facebook used to provide some of that and they took that away a few years ago. Um, uh, and then they think about how, um, you know, by relying on our investment in machine learning and data science um, and the knowledge that comes along with, you know, deploying thousands and thousands of campaigns a month, they're able to do things very similar to what they do on their digital channels, build lookalikes from various um, CRM segments, um, you know, isolate lots of different micro segments within their CRM to drive various re-engagement or lifetime value building um, initiatives. And they just see how easy and quick that happens. Like, that's that's a moment where all of a sudden kind of the light goes goes on. Um, the other is you know when when you engage with teams that are currently doing direct mail and they're talking about how they're planning today for campaigns that are going to be like hitting home sixty to ninety days from now, like the entire world's going to change by then. <laughs> we could, like have like two more global pandemics. Like who like 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 that's like not acceptable in right. you know, 2022. Like that, like, like you want to be able to wake up today, come up with an idea and, you know, and be able to execute that, that same day. And, and Posty allows for that. So when you can see that, you know, you're eight or nine clicks away from structuring and deploying a complex multivariate, um, you know, direct mail campaign and that you can be in production within a couple of days, like that, that like, you know, it's like, um, you know, uh, that's crazy. And then really the third component is the programmatic capabilities, the, the idea of setting kind of rule-based um, campaigns tied to first-party data sets the same way that you can set up email campaigns or SMS campaigns or digital programmatic retargeting campaigns, you know, all of those capabilities that require technology to execute. Um, you know, the, it, it just opens up the use cases for direct mail. We think about the 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 future of. I'm such a fan of this concept. I wish I had a chance to use it back in in a previous role. I was mentioned earlier about how something like this was was a need of mine. You know, five six years ago. But when you think about the future of direct mail, I mean, you guys clearly are doing something that's innovative here. What's it look like five years from now? Because when it comes to direct mail, I, I would imagine you're dependent upon postal delivery to get into the actual physical mailbox. Um. So given that limitation, if you will, because you'd love to be able to day part when your mail gets put into the mailbox, but typically I'm assuming it's all within the same time frame during the day. So go five years from now, what other innovations do you see happening uh, or would you like to see in this direct mail space? So I, th- I think um, m- most you know, when you think about like the technical innovation, most of it's going to be things that you can do to improve performance, which which is going to rely, you know rely heavily on innovations in complex mathematics and machine learning and AI and things you can do with data. And we love that. I mean, we're we're yeah you know, um, yeah you know, 
marketing geeks at heart. And, and that's where we spend you know, most of our innovation. Um, the other component of our innovation is on just on operations and logistics speed. So direct mail, unlike a digital channel, you requires manufacturing for every single campaign. So when you think about um, the complexities around having thousands of advertisers deploying you know, tens of thousands of campaigns over short periods of time, different ad formats, different volumes, um, complex logistics of how um, both you know, third-party logistics providers and the U.S. Postal Service move millions of pieces of mail around the country in a month. You know, the more accurate, the more automated that we can um, you know, build, build um, uh, around those capabilities, the faster that we can help advertisers take an idea from their head and, and actually get it into the world and affect their, their marketing P&L. Those are the kind of two, I think, um, core areas. There's lots of nuances within within each of those. Um, I mean, arguably a third would be measurement and insights, but I think you know, that's pretty strong as it is already. Um, yeah, but if we can keep help, you know, keep innovating in in ways to increase speed and efficiency of the delivery of campaigns and all of the kind of mathematics and, and, and data components that go into making the channel even more performant than it already is then it, it can become more, um, uh, you know, impactful channel in, in a marketer's arsenal. I mean, look, it's already, depending on whose numbers you look so at someone somewhere around like $50 billion, you know, um, uh, a year channel just here in the U.S. alone. So it's not that marketers aren't um, leaning in. It, it's it's monstrous already. But um, but the innovation in digital has happened so much faster than it has in, in traditional channels that, that, you know, if we can put that same innovation into a channel, again, that is not a walled garden, that puts more control and prediction into the hands of marketers, that's a really good thing for, for the marketing ecosystem. Love it. And I think all of our listeners are now going to be looking at their mailbox a little bit differently when, when they start to unpack, look in, their, in the mail they're receiving, knowing that thinking about, wait a minute, am I being targeted based off of other things I've been doing? Answer is probably yes. Uh, and it's probably a posty client too. Um, so let's, let's, let's shift to think about, you know, the audience, the listener, the marketer who's saying, Hey, start a path for me is something I want to do. Uh, I'm, I love to generate growth. I have experience. I'm looking to change my path, leave my agency, go work for a startup. Let's use this as an example. If somebody wanted to get your attention, and let you know that they're a great candidate to join your team as a marketer, what would you recommend they do? And this isn't just for right now, but what's worked for you in the past, if it was you doing that, or maybe you've been contacted by marketers in the past, just trying to give some advice to marketers that are seeking to gain attention of potential employers, what do you recommend they do? Well, I'll give you a a real-life experience. So we were looking to hire a, a very senior marketer about a year ago. We're we're obviously a, a, a B2B marketing platform. We're, well, we're a D2C marketing platform, but, right. but our own marketing is B2B, right? We're, we're selling into you know, enterprise and, and emerging um, you know, brands. So there was a candidate that came in through a recruiter. And on paper, his, his experience was amazing, but um, it was all on the consumer side. There was no B2B experience. And so probably wouldn't have been someone that I would have chosen to interview um, just based on um, a resume from a recruiter. Um, so, but the first thing that he did was he backshadowed and found um, someone that we, a contact that we shared in common on LinkedIn and had that person reach out to me and provide an endorsement. 
Um, and that obviously catches your attention, right? Someone, you know, is, is, you know, is, is like he's marketing himself. Right. right? Um, so took an initial meeting, really enjoyed this, you know, the conversation, but it was just, you know, again, at the end, it was, yeah, I, I don't see the fit here. You're not coming in with the experience set. Um, you know, I'm much more experienced in personally in, in DDC marketing. And, and so, you know, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, like one thing I've learned along the way is that you hire people way smarter than you in every walk of life. Um, and then you work to empower and support them. You don't hire people that can do things, you know, almost as well as you can already do. And you should never be afraid of hiring people that are, are better than you at, at, at their skill. And so for me, I, I wanted someone who was going to come in and teach me how to be a B2B marketer, not vice versa. Cause I knew we would, you know, we were, we were dead in the water if I had to, you know, teach someone else how to do it. So push back on him and and he thought and he said give me an hour, a follow-up hour, let me do research and put together my thoughts and I'll present to you. And at that point if you don't think it's a fit, you know, so be it. So I was like, sure. Like can't can't you know, can't hurt. Um he, he showed up with a 40-page PowerPoint presentation that had um an entire 12-month media plan um, he had researched our brand. He understood the competitive landscape. He had mocks, mocked up screenshots of examples of, you know, using our own technology for, and postcards um, and direct mail for, um, to, to market, um, you know, and, and, and it wasn't that each thing that he had done, we weren't necessarily currently doing or, or, or not, we weren't doing or not doing. It was that he had, he had done the work. He 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 demonstrated how his brain worked, and he demonstrated the ability to to learn and to research and synthesize. Uh, it blew it, it 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 blew me away. Um, we hired him. Nice. He's a remarkable. He's he's a remarkable talent. Um, so I think you know, you can't the, the, like if you're if you are interviewing or trying to get a you know get a job in an organization as a marketer you can't just show up and have a conversation. Like the key is show your market, you know, show that you know how to market, demonstrate um, your skill and your capability, make it impossible for someone not to see transparently the value and capabilities that you bring. Um, it may seem like a lot of work. You might not be able to do that for 20 or 30 different, you know, interviews, but if there's a specific role or a specific role, you know, a couple of roles that, that, that you're just super motivated to get, um, you know, demonstrate what you can do. Don't just, t- you know, tell someone what you can do. And I, I think that's probably the best answer I could ask for in giving that story, because it, it really pulls together all the things that that we've been talking about. We talked about our content, other uh, guests have alluded to, but I think that captures pretty much the, in marketing, treat your job stores like a marketing plan, which means you need to market the brand, which is you. And that that's a great story that that encompasses it. And I'm sure that person you hired probably tells that story in advice to others that are dying to figure out how to get a job. And, and he just says, well, this is all I did. And uh, what, what a great approach. Um, it was perfect. Yeah. I was going to say, like, typically I ask, I guess, you know, about interview questions that you're asked. I mean, it sounds like this pretty much answers all the questions because this is the example of what it needs to take nowadays because I'm sure you've seen it when you're trying to hire for these positions, you're inundated with, you know, if you're using a recruiter, you're getting, I mean, you're probably getting, you know, okay. 
candidates. Um, but it's We're the kids- a swath of them. Swath, right. right. And, and so sometimes, I mean, there could be a great candidate, but you've gotten six from the same recruiter and the first four were terrible um, or just not it. Like you could tell that they're just sending over any you know, resume that comes across their desk. And so you're just in a negative frame of mind. You're like, oh, this one's going to be terrible too. And, and so you sometimes miss something. Um, you know, the, the I, you know, I, I don't want to use like the generic, like you got to do something to stand out, you, you know. Um, but, it, but again, if you think about what this specific candidate did who ended up getting the job and ended up like performing at an even higher level than, than his interview, um, demonstrated, you know, he he showed that he knew how to network. He showed that he really cared, and this was more than just another interview for him. This was this was an opportunity he really researched and was interested in. Um, and he sold himself tremendously, and then he did work, and that work happened to be. It wasn't that everything he presented in that plan was, was like spot on or perfect. Like there were things that were good, and there were things that weren't good. There were things that we implemented, things that we didn't implement. It was, it was, it was showing, um, it was demonstrating that his capacity to do the work and he, he made it, he took away any opportunity I had to, to walk away with doubt. And again, again, it's just, that's, it it was brilliant. And when you're hiring now, cause you, you hit on the topic, which is hire people that are smarter than you fill the room with those you can learn from. And when you're looking at candidates or listening to candidates in, in conversations, go back to your experience where you were saying you were driven by having more motivation than capability. Do you still look for that in candidates and maybe hire the person that doesn't have the experience? I mean, this this example aside, you know, entry level roles or, or operation sure. roles. Yeah, I mean, look, in, in in more like mid to senior roles, like we do, we certainly hire for experience. You can de-risk by bringing people in that have a proven track record. Uh, you have to figure out ways throughout the interview to really get at like what's just a line on a resume versus what's actually you know, been done and 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 what was this this person responsible for at their last opportunities. Um, there are there are no shortage of, of more entry level positions, and in those positions are are almost harder to hire you know hire for and certainly interview for because you don't have like a body of work to rely on that makes it kind of gives you a little shortcut or helps you create confidence. You're, you're interviewing for capabilities um, and and certainly you know motivation, uh, intellect, um, cultural fit. Th- those things those things matter. And there, there, there is definitely more innate risk in, in hiring for those positions. Obviously, you know, the comp of those positions is lighter, so it's a little less painful if it doesn't work out. But in a company, you know, that, that's growing and, and, um, and, um, and momentum matters so much to, you know, even on the junior side, hiring someone that doesn't work out that you have to, you know, move out of the, the building is demoralizing for, you know, for the team, um, you, you know, typically, you know, there are lots of, of individuals on the team that spent time training and developing this person. And, and that feels like a waste um, when that's not part of their core responsibility. It's part of just the need um, in, in in a startup or growth company. So, you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to downplay um, the importance of hiring, making good hiring decisions, you know, up and down the stack of, mm-hmm. of experience. But um, but but certainly, yeah, I mean, you know, motivation, intellect, cultural fit, 
Um, those are all those are all things that that we look for in our junior um, you know candidates. And when you can't rely on what have you been doing in the last five years, um, can't blame someone for just graduating college. <laughs> right, exactly. Got it. So this has been this this has been extremely helpful to again introduce our audience to Posty and how it can help them because I'm sure there's a couple of marketers now you know, if they haven't contacted you already thinking about how they can fit this into their budgets. So what is the best way for our audience to contact you? Yeah, so uh, certainly, you know, uh, anyone who's interested in researching Posty can can visit posty.com, P-O-S-T-I-E.com. Um, a tremendous amount of of, um, of kind of information on on the website. There's a, a, a contact us forum, and and we 100 percent um, will reach out um, and get in contact. Uh, our, my LinkedIn is is usually the easiest place to to find me. I'll, I'll be honest, um, I I don't respond a ton if ever to just cold email outreach because I, I would be doing that full time if I did. <laughs> um you know if you're you know an outsourced SDR firm or recruiting firm um probably not gonna respond if you just cold email me. But um but LinkedIn for sure and um it's an easy way to kind of see who you are and and you know and um and and get get I have to be a little bit selective and and how I spend my time or I'd be doing my team a disservice, um, just engaging with everybody that reached out to me. Um, those, are, those are kind of two, uh, two places, both through the website um, for posting information and then my LinkedIn um, for um, uh, for personal contact. And, and you can post that on, on your site. Yeah, sure. I will share links in the show notes. And if anybody you know is interested, and, and it sounds like you're hiring for some roles too, any marketing roles that you're trying to fill? Yeah, absolutely. Both senior and junior marketing roles. We're always hiring for sales. We're hiring entry-level roles in our SDR program. We're hiring account managers. We're hiring data scientists. We're hiring full-stack engineers, structural data engineers. We're hiring operations managers. Um, remote or are they hiring, in LA? Uh, re- re- remote. Okay. Um, so we have hubs in Los Angeles, San Diego, Austin, Texas, Denver, Colorado, Las Vegas, Nevada. And then we're, we have individuals in about probably six or seven other states. Um, you know, we'd like to centralize in, in those hubs just because there's some camaraderie and, um, oh, yeah. but everybody, we are fully distributed company right now. So if you're a talented person, um, we, we definitely wouldn't rule you out if you didn't live in one of those hubs. Cool. So I will include a lot of the information in the show notes. And if anybody wants to connect uh, with Dave in LinkedIn, just drop a note that you heard this interview on this podcast, then I'm sure that'll cut through some of the clutter. Um, yeah, for sure. And, and I don't know why I didn't think about it um, before on this show in particular, but yeah, we, we are definitively, um, you know, interviewing and actively hiring to build out our marketing team, both, both senior and, and um, mid, mid-level, I would say. So, so yeah, smart folks, please, um, if, if it's got your attention, feel free to yeah. um, reach out to us. We'll, we will be in touch. Love it. So great stuff, Dave. I appreciate you sharing your your insights, your career path learnings, uh, information here on what it takes to stand out in this crowded marketplace of marketers trying to continue their careers. So appreciate your time. Thanks for joining and best of luck with Posty. I appreciate it. Yeah, re- really enjoyed this. And um, I hope, hope we added some value to your listeners. Definitely. All right. Big thanks to Dave. Thanks for joining today's episode. Listen, what a great background and great experience that Dave shared with his uh, his path through the startup ecosystem and, you know, translating a sales background into some marketing roles. But it sounds like challenge was his top career factor that drove him into those various startup roles. So 
if you're considering a path, uh, a marketing role in startups, definitely connect with Dave and LinkedIn. Make sure to reference the Marketing Careers podcast and connect with him. Maybe there's some roles at Posty that are a fit for you. Um, and I'm sure you'll want to check out Posty now because it sounds like direct mail as a digital channel opportunity could be something that's uh, of interest for you, your agency, your clients, your business. Uh, so check the show notes for all the links. And remember, don't forget about the resources and support options that exist to you uh, at themarketinghelp.co forward slash membership. Now, this is your host, Eric Harbison, reminding you, what action can you take today to advance your marketing career?